0: If you've uh, checked your bulletins yet, notice the sermon topic and text this morning, the irony of the timing of this morning's message won't be lost on you. Uh, If I asked any of you by show of hands, just could you sum up how you feel right now in a word? How many of y'all would say restful? I just feel really well rested. (laughs) That's what I suspected. And yet, as we're going to see this morning... Um, and uh, what God wants to show us through his word. That's exactly why Jesus came. As we continue our five-week Christmas series on why Jesus came, we're going to learn this morning Jesus came to give us rest. Uh, I'm the associate pastor here at uh, West Hills, by the way. My name is Will Duvall, and it's a a pleasure to be here with you. So would you uh, stand, if you would, with me, um, and we'll we'll start with the reading of God's word, and then we'll get into this passage uh, that God has for us this morning. This is from Matthew 11. Verses 28 through 30, and uh, if you would, let's read this out loud together, all right? Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your rest this morning. Father, we need the rest that only you can offer us. We come here this morning with all kinds of yokes that we've been carrying for far too long, and so we need rest. Father, would you make this invitation from your Son real and personal for us this morning? And we thank you for being our rest, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I had researched and had this whole spiel for you for an introduction this morning on how rest is scientifically proven to make you not only happier and healthier, but also improve even your productivity at work. How a lot of the greatest minds of all time um, were also the greatest resters of all time. Did you know that Albert Einstein slept for 10 hours a night and took daily naps? Fun fact. How resting can cut... Your risk of catching a cold or flu in half, we think. Anybody struggling with that this this cold and flu season? Not to mention your your risk decrease your risk of skin disease, Alzheimer's, stroke, seizures, depression, diabetes, obesity, impotence, and high blood pressure and heart disease. So I had this whole thing uh, planned, and then you know the more I thought about it, I, I thought you know you probably don't need me to preach that at you, do you? You probably don't don't need to hear that because you probably already know it. I mean, we, we know that we need rest. At a heart level, we feel it. We feel it, I mean, in a really visceral kind of way that we need rest. And yet, how often do we not allow ourselves to get the rest that we know we need? And so the real question for us this morning is why not? And what can we do about it? So those are the questions I want to turn to, but first, before we get there, we do need to spend just a few minutes on this question of why we should rest, especially because as much as you know it in your body and you feel it, and in your soul and your spirit even more so, you know the practical and the health reasons for why you need rest, but we need to know this morning this is not just a medical issue, this is a spiritual issue for us. It's a spiritual issue, a biblical issue. And so point number one, we need to consider why should we rest biblically speaking? So let's turn to God's word. For starters, we should rest because because God says so. Very simple answer from Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is within them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now the context for this passage should be familiar to most most of us, right? This is God's top ten list. It's the Ten Commandments. And for those of us who are parents, you know... Because I said so is not, hopefully, your preferred go-to default reason for motivating your children's obedience, right? You, you like to save that one for, in the back pocket when you really need it. You, you want, we want our children to learn to self-motivate for the right behavior. And yet, at the end of the day, when they don't and they can't understand, they can't get there and reason with you, right? At the end of the day, they're left with a very simple question. And it's the same question that you and I are left with when it comes to this rest thing. Do I trust that my parent knows best? Do I trust here that God knows better than I do what I really need? And so in that sense, the fourth commandment here, to rest from God, really takes us back to the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Because what are we really doing when we not only reinterpret But we rewrite the law of God to make it work for us. When we say, yes, God, I'm with you. I believe that you know what you're doing with those nine commandments. I can get on board, don't murder, don't have, you know, commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. I can get on board with those. But when it comes to this one, don't rest, carve out a day just for me, just to be with God and give it back to the Lord. You know, Moses didn't have to deal with youth soccer on Sundays, Right? I mean, what, what are we really doing when we do that and we rationalize and we try and justify? I think what we're really doing is we're putting ourselves in God's place, aren't we? We're saying, I, I think that when it comes to this one, I know actually better than God does. So I suggest to you perhaps the reason the fourth commandment is the longest of all of God's top ten is because God knew it would be the hardest one for us to keep. Perhaps the reason God's penalty for breaking the Sabbath we find out in numbers 15 is death is because God wants us to know just how seriously He treats this call to rest. Now, why? All right, why? Why does God care so much about me resting? Why does he make such a big deal out of it? Number two, we should rest because God rests. He cares about it because God intentionally designed us in His image for rest. Genesis 2, we hear thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work, all that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work and all that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested. If rest is good enough for God, it should be good enough for us. If even God takes a break from his work of creating that how much more so ought you and I to learn our need to take breaks and rest? If rest is an essential part of God's work rhythm, and he, again, he made us in his image, Genesis 1, how much more so should rest be an equally essential part of our rhythm as well? The difference, of course, is that God doesn't have to rest. Isaiah 40 tells us he doesn't faint or grow weary. God chooses to rest, right? You and I, on the other hand, we cannot go two weeks without sleep, without literally keeling over and dying. And that should be a a, a really essential part of the point here for us, too. We need rest. We are designed to need rest. And and acknowledging that reminds us of our finiteness, our frailty, our dependency on God, our God-given limitations. And so I suggest to you that our acknowledging of our need for rest can actually be a spiritual act of worship insofar as we acknowledge the beauty and the way God intentionally designed us for dependency on Him. Rest is worship insofar as we acknowledge the beauty and the way God intentionally designed us for dependency on Him. So God calls us to rest in order to remind us of just how needy we truly are. When we refuse to rest, we're not only saying to God, I won't follow your command. We're also saying, God, I won't follow your design for me. You must be mistaken, God, in calling me to rest. Yes, other people need rest, but somehow I'm different or special. I'm not as needy as them. And so I ask you this morning, if we can't acknowledge our need in this really physical literal way before God how does that affect our ability to admit our need for him spiritually Is the same part of our, of our heart that says yeah, I, don't, I don't really need rest I got this on my own God is that same part of our heart is that what keeps us from accepting his grace as well remember Jesus came not to save the healthy but the sick and the needy And that brings us to point number three We ought to rest because we can. We rest because we can, because God is God. And that means that you and I don't have to be. Because God is God, you and I don't have to be. Matthew 6, Jesus tells us do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what will we wear, or what shall we drink, what shall we eat? For the Gentiles seek after these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. By show of hands be honest how many of y'all when you worried when you got stressed and anxious this past week it was because you weren't sure where to find food or water or clothes to keep you from being naked anybody all right and so how much more so then if jesus says you don't even worry about those things right because god knows those needs and god will supply them how much more so ought we not let the little petty things in our lives that, that want to keep us from the rest that Jesus has for us come in the way of actually resting in those promises. Again, rest is a spiritual act of worship insofar as we acknowledge that there is a God who holds the universe together and it's not you. Let me say that again. Rest is a spiritual act of worship insofar as we acknowledge there's a God who holds the whole universe together and it's not me or you. So do you trust him this morning? Do you trust that the world won't stop spinning because you take a day off? Do you trust that that thing that's keeping you at work, busy, the sun will still come up in the morning if you leave it for tomorrow? You trust that. Resting requires the truly humbling admission from us that I'm really not as indispensable to the universe as I think I am. That the universe managed to exist for a really long time without me and it'll still be here when I'm gone. And far from being a depressing realization for us as believers, friends, that is a a freeing admission. That That is a weight off of our shoulders, isn't it? to know that we don't have to be in control of the universe that because God has got it. And what a giant weight off my shoulders. Now I can rest because I don't have to be God. And not just at the macro level, but at the micro level as well. Not just over the universe and human history, but over your life, your individual life. He is sovereign. He's sovereign over your life. And so it's no wonder that Jesus says in verse 32, the Gentiles stress out over these things because unbelievers probably should live in constant stress and anxiety. Because if you believe in a completely mechanistic, godless universe where there's no higher power, no higher purpose, and everything must be explained by simple laws of cause and effect, then I really must be exclusively determined. My my fate is determined by me. I must bear the full weight of responsibility of everything that happens to me in my life. But can you imagine the burden that puts on someone? I mean, the burden that that puts on you, knowing that you are completely responsible for your own fate. And so Jesus says, the Gentiles think in this way. They stress about these things, but not my followers. Because you know that your heavenly Father knows what you need before you even ask. And in his sovereignty and his goodness, he will supply your every need. So church, I ask you again this morning, do we trust that? Do we trust that promise? Do we we rest in that promise? So now, if all of that's true, if Jesus wants us to rest, if he made us and designed us to rest, and if he allows us to rest, then why don't we do it? Let's turn to bullet point number two. We could probably point out a number of excuses that we make for our incessant need to stay busy, but I want to highlight just three reasons for you this morning. Why we don't rest. First, we stay busy to impress others. In some ways, maybe this is the most obvious. Busyness has become the invisible merit badge in our society. We unconsciously equate a person's busyness with their importance and we want to be or at least feel important, and so our need for rest gets trumped by our even deeper-seated need for importance and significance. We want others to see how busy we are because we want, when they look at us, for them to say, surely someone that busy must be really important. This is why Facebook exists. All right, let's, let's just be honest about it. The reason Facebook is a $500 billion company is not because Mark Zuckerberg was a genius at technology. It's because he's a genius at sociology. He knows how we work. I'm not saying Facebook is evil. I'm not saying you need to go log off necessarily. That would be hypocritical of me. I'm on Facebook. But that's all the more reason that I know how this works, right? Because I know for every post I make, for every message I send, that's really about connecting with people and, you know, all the reasons officially Facebook was designed. There's another post, right, that I put out there is, is to see how many people care. I want to look at that, be able to look at that little red number up by the alert button when I sign back on, and know exactly how many people are following me, so I know exactly how much worth and value I should feel as a human. Unconsciously, is that what we do? Ecclesiastes four four says, "Then I saw all the toil and all the skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor." This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. That's a beautiful word picture for what that is, isn't it? Whether you're working too hard at keeping up appearances on social media or literally working hard enough to be able to afford to give your kids the same Christmas present and keep up with the Joneses next door. Either way, I love that word picture. It's striving after the win. That sense of satisfaction that I get, that that hit of dopamine I get from checking back on Facebook, that red number, it's so temporary, so fleeting. It's chasing after the wind. That that satisfaction I get from from you know comparing myself to other and feeling better. It's it's like trying to grab the wind, is what the, the author says. If you're honest with yourself this morning, how many of the things that you label as rest have actually become more about keeping up for you? And in that way they're actually just a different form of work. They leave you exhausted. Maybe, maybe it is social media. It's been a long day. I'm just going to log on for a bit. And an hour later, you're even more tired than you were before because you realize what you've actually been doing is you've been trying to keep tabs on 681 people's lives all at once. That's how many friends I've got, by the way. So if we need to compare that so I know how, to, how, how much worth I should feel too. I mean, this is how it works, right? How many friends I have? Maybe for you at sports, guys... Sports, it's been a long day. I'm just going to tune on, t- turn on the game for a minute. And, and three hours later, you're more tired than you were before. Right? Because what you're really doing is you're trying to keep up with your team has been a way for you of connecting and feeling a part of something and feeling like one of the guys. And you're, you're scared of missing out and being out of the loop the next day at the office water cooler. So these things keep us exhausted. And, and the bigger problem with all of it, of course is where are we looking for our approval in the first place? Paul says in Galatians 1, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? So I ask you, can you ask yourself that really brutally honest question that Paul does of himself this morning? What about you? Are you seeking the approval of man or of God? Do you look to others to give you your identity and your worth? And are you tired yet of the perpetual busyness that that demands of you? Are you ready to look to Jesus and accept his unparalleled offer of true rest for your soul? Secondly, I think it's possible that we stay busy to appease God. Jesus tells the story in Luke 10 of, of entering a village and a woman named Martha welcoming him into her house. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, often this passage gets interpreted as a study in personality types. Are you a Mary or Martha? But I don't think that's what's going on here. And I think we've got to be careful about over-emphasizing our personality in general to underemphasize and excuse our sin. God gives us our personalities and he doesn't make mistakes. And so Jesus wouldn't find reason to call Martha out on this if it was just a matter of her personality. Well, that's just Martha being Martha. Well, maybe Jesus has more in store for Martha than that. Jesus wants her to be sanctified. And see, her problem here can't just be either that she's serving Jesus. People serve Jesus all through the Gospels, and they get commended for it. And so the issue with Martha has to be deeper here. It's a heart issue. Why is she serving Jesus in the first place? We get a clue of her motives in what she says to him. Lord, don't you care that I'm busy serving you while my sister slacks off? See what she's doing? Martha is comparing herself to her sister, I think, because she desperately wants and expects and needs to hear something from Jesus that she hasn't heard him say yet. What Martha wants Jesus to say is, Mary, Mary, you are lazy and you fail to serve me. Don't you know that I'm Jesus? Get off your lazy butt and make me a sandwich. Way to go, Martha. That's what Martha wants to hear. And so I can't help but wonder for us this morning how much of our busyness, like Martha's, is rooted in a view of God as this cosmic taskmaster with an infinite to-do list who's looking down from heaven, pen in hand, ready to condemn and judge us when we fail to complete the task. After all, there are 613 laws of the Old Testament alone, right? Right? But do we remember that the whole point of the law, Paul tells us, is to show us our need of a Savior. And so when he comes, when he's there in the flesh in front of her, all Mary can do is worship. Sit at his feet and worship. So I like to think, and, and Scripture doesn't say this, so this is just my interpretation. I like to think that Mary and Martha were actually the same personality. They were raised by the same demanding earthly father and they competed for his affection and his attention all their lives. And then Jesus comes rolling into town and Martha's perfectionism and workaholism kicks into a whole new level, right? Because now this is God in the flesh. I've really got to impress and appease him. And meanwhile, Mary is just transfixed. She stopped in her tracks She can't believe it. This is what her soul has ached for all her life. Someone who will accept her, not for what she can do, but for who she is. And the fact that the person is the very son of God, the the very person who has every right to look down on her, that he would say to her, come to me and I will give you rest. It's a beautiful thing. But without it, without his yoke, without Jesus' light burden, we're still trapped underneath the heavy weight of the burden of our own sinful selves. And so if we're brutally honest, the third reason I want to suggest to you that maybe we're so busy is we're trying to ignore ourselves. Now we cut to the core of it. How much of our busyness friends, is driven by a need to stay constantly occupied lest we have to pause long enough to look in the mirror. Because we're afraid of what we might see. Maybe you've caught glimpses of it over the years and you don't like what you see. You already know that. So we do and we do and we do and we go and we go and we go in a desperate attempt to avoid the most terrifying thought of all, just being alone with ourselves. Just standing emotionally and, and, and spiritually vulnerable and naked before our God. And so like Martha, we hide behind what we can do because if we're honest, we don't really like what we are. And I'll make this really personal for you this morning. I'm not preaching this at you. I'm not trying to you know, project anything on you. This is me, guys. This is I'll admit, this is where I was not all that long ago. I I hit a a, a literal place where there was a metaphorical two-by-four that God had to hit me with right between my eyes and stop me in my tracks because this was me. It was after a particularly long, long day off from work, during which I was constantly frustrated and restless the entire day. I couldn't get any of my mental li- to-do list items checked off because Polly wanted to spend all this us time together. And at the end of the day, we lay down in bed, and I said, well, that was a waste of a day. I didn't get anything accomplished. And she looked at me, and she asked, is it really that difficult to spend an entire day with your wife? And as if the words came from within me, and I was realizing what I was saying for the first time and the Holy Spirit was just crying out from within me, I said, no, it's really that difficult for me to spend an entire day with myself. Maybe that's you this morning. There's a lot of people out there who really struggle with God's grace and his love and his rest because, frankly, they don't think they need it that much. But then there's some of us who struggle with God's grace and his love because we can't accept that he offers it. We can't bring ourselves to believe that he would extend it to someone like you, to someone like me, who's done the things that I've done. Jesus says, come to me. And you respond, Jesus, you don't understand. You, You must not be talking to me. You must not really know me, Jesus, because if you did, and he says, come to me. I know, come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus makes this rest possible for us because he is our rest. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He is our rest. So if he is our rest and we can really rest, how do we do that? I want to suggest three practical ways for you this morning. First, rest is only possible if we're reconciled with God first, we must be reconciled with God. We can only rest, but we can always rest if we are reconciled with God. We've got to hear the warnings of the prophets. Jeremiah and Ezekiel afresh this morning, they warned the Israelites who had turned in disobedience away from God and failed to repent of their sins. Listen, beware, there's false prophets that are going to come preaching peace, peace to you when there is no peace. There is no peace. You stand justly condemned in your sin under God's holy, righteous wrath. And so if you're here this morning, you have not surrendered your life to Christ in faith and trusted him for your salvation I say this to you in the most gentle and loving way possible. You should not rest. There is no rest for you yet. Don't hear me saying this morning, because Jesus loves you, you can rest. Because if you haven't trusted him to be your Lord of your Sabbath, there's no rest. What does John 3.16 say? say everyone's favorite memory verse Gary preached on it last week for us John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life eternal life that's a beautiful promise right we love that we cling to that and yet that's not the end of the promise what does Jesus tell us just two verses later in John 3:18 whoever believes in him is not condemned but but Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. If you haven't trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning, there's no rest for your soul. How could there be? There's an infinite chasm between your sinful, spotted, tainted, blackened heart and the perfect, holy, spotless heart of God unless Jesus bridges that gap for you. I want you to know this morning, friends, that can all change for you this morning. It can all change. Don't wait. Trust him to be your rest and salvation. For those of us who have, who are in Christ, who have been reconciled with God by the shed blood of Jesus in our place, on the other hand, for us, there is a rest eternal that is rightfully ours, and it doesn't even have to wait until eternity. It can be yours today. Hebrews 4. This is the quintessential passage on this. Hebrews 4. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. (coughs) Did you catch that? As God did from his. (coughs) Excuse me. As God did from his. We've already seen that God rested, right? In Genesis 2, God rested from his work in creation. But did you know that God rests elsewhere in Scripture too? What is the author of Hebrews talking about here? I don't think he's just talking about creation. As God rested from his works as well. Then he's talking about the work of salvation. God, from the beginning, for thousands of years, God has been working his plan of salvation through the patriarchs, Through the Old Testament covenants, through the law, the sacrificial system, the judges, the kings, the temple, the prophets, for thousands and thousands of years, God has been working this process, this plan of salvation. He's been orchestrating this grand narrative of redemption for his people. Right? God worked and worked and worked. He pleaded with his people, and they turned back to him, and he forgave them, and then they fell right again. And so it's this never-ending cycle of sin, salvation, sin, salvation, forgiveness, mess up, forgiveness. And God is working and working and working salvation. And then we read in Hebrews 10, 12 and 14, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For By a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Did you hear that? Jesus sat down. He rested. When Jesus said, It is finished on the cross, he went and he sat down. He rested. God's God's work of salvation and work and work, it's done. It's finished. It is completed in the work of Christ. You need to hear that this morning. He's sitting down. When you sin, When you leave here today and you sin, Jesus will not stand up off the throne and say, oh oh gosh, and get anxious and stressed and worried. Maybe I need to go back down. It's finished. He's resting. He's resting in the work he's done for you. And so you can rest too. You can rest. Hebrews 4 says, whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works. That's the irony, isn't it? You can only rest. If, if you're resting from your work and resting in his work. Right? If you haven't gotten there yet, you're not really resting. It's, been gr- for, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, not by works. Right? Ephesians 2, not by your works, lest any man should boast. We have no reason to boast. There is no room in God's kingdom for spiritual Marthas. If you're still trying to earn it, It's not not there for you. You're not ready for it. God is not impressed. He's not appeased by your attempts at self-justification. Jesus says, you have to come to me and I will give you rest. Read Matthew 11 again. That short passage for today, seven personal pronouns. I will give you rest. It's all about Jesus. You add nothing. It's all about Jesus. Secondly, We remind ourselves with Scripture. We can rest when we remind ourselves with Scripture. We have to do this regularly. We have to remind ourselves of our rightful, adopted birthright in Christ. Just look at all the passages. In addition to the ones we've already looked at this morning, in addition to all the ones I had to cut for sake of time, Just look at a a, a few of the passages where God extends this invitation of rest. Exodus 33, 14, right before they head out from Mount Sinai, after he's given the law, he reminds them of rest. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Psalm 23, you know it, you love it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Psalm 91.1, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Psalm 116.7, return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. We'll sing about that in a minute. We can rest because he's good. He's not only sovereign. If he was just sovereign, that's one thing. He's good. He is good and loving and he cares about you so you can rest. S- Psalm 127 too, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil for he gives to his beloved sleep. He will give you sleep. And finally, Jeremiah thirty I'll satisfy the weary soul in every languishing soul I will replenish. Friends, is there any doubt from God's word that he wants us to rest? That he made it possible for us to rest? And that we desperately need that rest? There can't be any doubt. But it's only as we spend time with him, it's only as we rest with him and rest in his word, and allow it to change and shape our hearts that we're humbled and convicted and reminded of both our need for and his provision of our rest. And so lastly, number three, we can rest by falling in love with Jesus. We rest by falling in love with Jesus. So as we conclude, would you just close your eyes with me? And let me just ask you, for you personally, as you close your eyes, what what do you need rest from this morning? Just make it personal for you. What, What are you heavy laden with? What are you tired of being perpetually at labor after? What have you yoked yourself to, the burden of which is crushing you? Maybe it's you. Maybe if you're honest... You live most moments of most days in violation of that first commandment because your real God is you, and you've bought into society's lie that the greatest good in your life is your personal happiness and self-actualization, and you've been carrying that yoke around for years, trying everything you can think of to make yourself happy, but nothing seems to fill the void and satisfy the longing in your heart in any lasting way, and the weight of it all has left you broken and exhausted. Maybe that's you. Maybe it's your work. Maybe you've taken a good thing, God's occupational calling for your life, and you've made it into an idol by letting it become the main thing. And the thought of taking a week off, even taking a day off, puts a knot in your stomach because you're honestly not sure anymore whether the sun would come up the next day. You've become so codependent on your job to give you the identity and the purpose and the fulfillment that you desperately seek that a day off leaves you feeling totally lost. So you work and you work and you work and you're exhausted. Maybe it's your family. Let's get honest. You're wondering When did I sign up to be a full-time chauffeur, chef, tutor, coach, nurse, pastor, therapist, accountant, police officer, judge, personal assistant, and maid, all without pay, by the way, and without much thanks either? And lately, you're feeling more like a cog in the machine than a human being, and you're exhausted. Maybe it's your reputation, the public persona you project to the world. The perfect image of someone who's got it all together that people see on your Facebook page, but you know deep down that's so far from the truth and this digital representative of yourself is starting to feel like a stranger to you. And yet you can't seem to find your way out from under the yoke of needing to impress others and win their approval and their admiration. And you're exhausted. Or perhaps most dangerous of all, maybe your yoke is your own guilt that's rooted in a false view of God. Whether someone explicitly said it to you or not, Somewhere along the way, you've adopted this belief that you had to earn God's love. And so, like Martha, you've been working your fingers to the bone, trying to make up for all of your insecurities, all your personal shortcomings, your self hatred. And you keep thinking, if I can just do, 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 do enough, just a little more, and then maybe God will love me. I'll be able to feel loved, I'll be able to accept His love. And you're exhausted. Whatever your yoke this morning, with your eyes closed, picture it. Picture that yoke literally stretched across your shoulders. It's 300 pound weight crushing you underneath it. You're on your knees, you're on your face when you hear a voice saying, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in the heart. And you will find a rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And so, if you hear his voice this morning, friends, don't wait another second. Why did Jesus come? He came. Lived and died and resurrected to give you rest, to be your rest, and to make his perfect rest available to you now and forevermore. Will you accept it this morning? Amen.